This is an Alliance podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream, the best is yet to come. Welcome back to Build It, Season 2, which people said we'd never get to, which is quite exciting. Um, our guest this week, opening up this season, is uh, John Bissom from Minneapolis. Hi, John. How you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming back to us. Uh, of course, John Hall of DeKalb County, CEO, President, Leader, Thought, Guidance, whatever, is with me. Hi, John. Other John. What's up, buddy? There you go. This is going to get very confusing. I, of course, am Nick. Um, and... John, Minneapolis John, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but anyway, um, <laughs> anyone listening to this won't know that we actually spoke to John at the tail end of last season, but I screwed up royally and we didn't record any of it, so we're doing it all again, so if John feels jaded and, or sounds jaded and bored by us, that's entirely on me, but those of you who have been paying attention will know that John has some things to talk about, which is going to be super exciting. As ever, we are going to be talking about him and soccer in the local area, and then we're going to be talking club specifics and moving on to all things non-league that he can relate to. So, um, first things first. Hi, John. Thank you for joining us again. Could you please give us the very quick uh, cliff notes of your soccer journey to this point, my friend? Oh, man. You want me to do the cliff notes? That's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do. <laughs> uh, well, I come from a huge soccer family, um, an immigrant family from, that came over from Germany and landed in the Milwaukee area. So not too far away from where you guys are currently at. Um, and it kind of started there from, from birth. I was, I was, I was put into a soccer family and it, it was one a on, on the list of things that we always did. You know, I, my dad was a, a 16 year high school coach. Uh, when we, we ended up, I was born in Dayton, Ohio, and my dad was in the military down there. So he was a, a women's soccer coach at a high school for 16 years. I grew up around it. It was my babysitter. It was my, uh, everything I wanted to do was, was go to soccer with dad until I could play myself. Um, my playing days took me many different places, um, including to today. I still play. And, uh, and then as of 2010, I moved to Minneapolis and, and reconnected with, uh, my, my buddy from, from way back in the day, Dan Hudeman. And we started our, our non-league soccer journey with a, a men's club. That's now morphed into seven teams, I believe six or seven teams. And then ultimately Minneapolis city from a, an ultra amateur competitive perspective in, in 2016 to today. Your original club, I believe was Stegmans, was it not? Is that, I think that's the first time I came aware of you. Man, you're, you're nailing it. Yeah. Stegmans. Yeah. Uh, and actually what people don't know is that, uh, Dan and I grew up playing soccer at Ohio. So we've known each other for almost 30 years. And our coach in Ohio was named Tom Stegman. So we started our, our club off as, as Stegman's old boys because we were two Stegman's old boys. And uh, we have confirmed that Stegman's still alive. He's retired in Florida. So um, we, he get, does he get memorial shirts? He must we, be club. we started sending him stuff from, from the jump and no response back. So either he hates us or he's just really bad at communication. One of the two. <laughs> Wow, these these jerseys just in the ether somewhere, just unloved. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just in a in a box in a basement somewhere in Florida, gathering yeah. mold. 
<laughs> the Twitter sphere would be hor- horrified to hear that, given how popular some of your jerseys are. So. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so um, Stegman's was just your, you know, your rec soccer club, correct? Yep. Yeah. What well, made, yeah. the the way that the the league is set up in in Minnesota, there's there's uh, MASL, which is the am- the amateur soccer arm, and then MRSL, which is the recreational arm. So we have teams that o- occupy both. Um, we have uh, the the top three divisions in the amateur soccer league, and then um, and then the recreational soccer league is where we have kind of our lower level just Sunday kick around um, mm-hmm. teams. So that's kind of how the structure work. And up until you know, the MPSL and the UPSL really hit it here in, in Minnesota, the MASL division one uh, amateur area soccer league was absolutely co- super competitive. It still is today. And, and a lot of the players that play for us and other, um, you know, uh, not, well, non-league teams at the, at the U- UPSL and MPSL level also play in that league as well. So then what, what drove you to take it more seriously as it were and you know give yourself sleepless nights as you and John can both testify to like it is not just a case of rocking up on a match day and saying oh here's our squad well I mean honestly it, it was a conversation with Dan and I where we just said man we're we're getting a little too old to be chasing college kids around uh, why don't we just start something that's a little bit higher level than this and we can just drink beer and watch it so that was kind of where the conversation actually did start and we we did our due diligence started you know kicking tires around the country talking to clubs in the landscape that we wanted to move into and then ultimately became one of the members of the now defunct premier league of america and that was our first foray into everything and the the difficult part is is it there's at that time, there was no script, right? Like now we feel like there's a script and we kind of feel like we had a hand in being able to help provide some of that script for teams that want to get it to this level. But back then it was, it was really like, if you had money and you had the players, you joined a league and then hopefully it worked out. Um, we had some early conversations with Peter Wiltz was, we thought maybe he's the right guy to talk to about ma- uh, how to do this. And he shared with us some information on, you know, just high level budgets, and and kind of requirements that we might need to account for you know minimum league standard type requirement things facilities um off the field things and and ultimately we we took all that information and you know i I know that this is something that john likes to hear we treated it like a business rather than a soccer club and we we did that in part because of the the knowledge that peter dropped on us was you have to do it that way or 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 it goes away because you're not thinking about all the things you need to be sustainable from a longevity perspective and we didn't want to be one of those clubs that came in in year one and then by year three we were ripping our hair out and then all of a sudden it just had to go away we wanted to keep it going because we wanted to build it for the community and for the players here and we didn't want to have to take it from them because of something we didn't account for i i gotta i'm gonna pile on to that and john i think i think your journey is uh a little bit parallel and i'm glad that you were before us but um in those early days these are the things we like to talk about a little bit on this on this podcast is like you got um, outreach around the country to bigger clubs and did different things and try to embark as or learn as much as you could from other people before you embarked on your journey. What was the biggest challenge once you got started uh, or the biggest hurdle that maybe caused a little bit of a pain point as you guys were getting going? I think it, um, I mean, outside of player recruitment, that's, a, that's always a tough one because, you know, there's, there's other options every, you know, you uncover a stone, there's an option for a player to play in. I think the, the one thing for me, you know, being on the sporting director side was um, convincing a, a, a quality coaching staff to do it for free 
because we, we, you know, up until this year, we haven't paid our coaches. We were able to have a decent, decently strong uh, financial season and be able to uh, apply a, a low level stipend. I'm not talking anything huge, but um, a stipend for our coaching staff, but trying to convince someone who just does has the uh, the decision between do I coach a, a U15 boys or girls team for $5,000 that summer or do I get paid nothing to make this a resume builder for me um, as I continue my coaching journey was really difficult and we were lucky to, to, to be able to do that but I think that that number one and then number two was where's the money going to come from you know outside of you know initial investment how do you get sponsorship how do you get you know people to to pay you for things that allow you to, to keep this going. Well, you hit it on the head. Go ahead and tell us, how do you do all that? Yeah, that was going to be my question. Well, here's the one thing, you know, I mean, people look at us and they're like, you know, you guys do X right or Y right or Z right. And we're, you know, thank you for that. It's, it took hard work to figure out how to do that. But one thing that we always fall down on is sponsorship. And, and it's a, it's a mixture between a couple different things. I think it's, we're in a, you know, a top 10 media market with an MLS team and, you know, many, many other options for people to give their money to. So it's really difficult for us to, to, to find sponsorship. And if we could just align that with everything else we have going on, it would make all of our lives easier, <laughs> but uh, it, it is where we are. So um, it's something we continually work on. So I wish I had an easy answer for you. But well, I'll, I'll give you this to make you feel better. Um, I spent a lot of time with our sponsorship team going out and, you know, trying to get people to support us financially and exchange for some exposure to their business and things like that. Um, many times those conversations and emails and follow-ups and all that, it's sort of a low return on investment mm -hmm. in many cases, right? Like you can work really hard for a hundred dollar check from a business that it, it took a lot of effort, a lot of time. Um, so those can be difficult things. And I think one thing to make you feel better is that the less you do with sponsorships, and obviously you guys have been around, if you count 16, right, you've been around five years and you've grown and you've established. And if you've been able to do that without sponsorship, you're much more in control of your financial future mm -hmm. because I'm old enough and, and, and you are too. 12 years ago, things got real bad for a lot of businesses, right? Yeah. Obviously the pandemic's a thing too, but when the recession impacted so many businesses, I'm afraid now, even with our club, we are very sponsor dependent, where if sponsors dry up in 2022, we're, our output is going to be very different. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you've struggled with it may actually end up being a benefit that's a really, it's a really good point. I think we, what we've done is we've just focused our attention on what we can control. You know, we can control the merchandise we put out that people like, you know, you can do things like have limited runs so that the people are keeping relevant with what you have out there. And, and also we, I mean, we do, we do charge our players, you know, and some, some teams don't do that. Um, we feel like if you don't, charge someone something that that day that they might you know not feel like the legs are fresh enough they might just not show up but if you have a little bit of a financial stake in it you know then people tend to to show up and it's funny because we had we had one player who um i was sitting on the bench one game and and one of the other guys he, he this guy in particular aiden o'driscoll did something fantastic and and the guy next to me said man i would pay to watch that guy play soccer and I said, well, that's awesome. He pays us to play soccer. So <laughs> I think we're doing it right. <laughs> Where did, how did you go around about getting the money year one or year zero, even realistically? Like, how did you convince sponsors that you were a going concern? Because when you were going like um, the MLS 
So it wasn't there, right? It was just bubbling around. It, it was just moving from NASL to to um, to MLS, which is why we started because we we felt that there was that niche that people mm -hmm. still wanted to have something more attainable, and that that's where we kind of we're like, oh, we we got to do it now, um, in order to get that buzz. But with the, the money at that point came from just initial investment. Um, from from some of the, the the partners at the time and then uh, as well as um, a little bit of a surplus that we had with segment soccer club so talking to the members of segment soccer club and the and the guys we we discussed can we move those dollars to start this thing hopefully it's sustainable and then ultimately over time pay pay the club back so we we started it as two separate entities under one umbrella um now we've had to separate it for for league reasons but um that's what we did to, to start it so we were lucky that we had a little bit of a surplus to get to get going i guess aside from the playing and the coaching side is money coming out of the club for staffing and for admin and whatnot nope all volunteer still all, all wow. still volunteer um you know and that's also a difficult one I, I probably should have mentioned earlier too is finding people to help you run the club <laughs> not everybody from a coaching perspective or a playing perspective wants to give up their time um to you know take tickets or to mm. you know um, make sure that there's water in the water jugs. So we lean heavily on volunteers. Um, we have a really great volunteer staff. And I think it's kind of a, if you build it, they will come type um, ideological um, collection of people where everyone just kind of likes what we do and they want to be part of it. Um, but we also do have interns and, you know, which pretty much most clubs at this level have some form of an internship, whether you call it a program or not, but people that are coming through from a college age perspective or um, maybe some, some instances high school ages that are coming through and, and helping you do your jobs. Yeah, I think that's an invaluable resource that clubs need to tap into more. Um, the, college, the college scene is such that you know, pretty much every town's got a, some level of college and if not, as you say, high school and those kids they need the exposure almost as much as we need their expertise, right? Because we're all old white men. We don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> um, I think Twitter, I know I always rely on Twitter when I'm talking social media, but generally Twitter would agree that you are a brand now. I think for me, for me personally, I think yourselves and Providence are the two sort of trendsetters in terms of um, your merch exceeds your immediate footfall, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I think you're as likely to see someone walking down the street in San Diego in one of your jerseys or one of Providence's as you are anything else. Um, is that, are you finding, does that help the, the coffers at the end of the day to be a national brand rather than a regional brand? Yeah, absolutely. And Dan, you know, one of the, the other co-founder and myself, we both have a, a background in advertising. So shockingly enough, we built the brand first. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so it is, it's a huge traffic driver for us from not only an awareness perspective, but also obviously from a uh, financial perspective. Um, you know, I talked about we do limited short runs on things. Um, you know, we we're very calculated in what we put out. We don't just put things out um, that people aren't going to buy, um, you know, and then ultimately at the end of the day, if, if you're on Twitter right now, we're, we're, we're cleaning some things out and, and you can kick up some old stuff that people are, are, are forgot about. And they're like, oh man, I really want that now. And, um, you, you know, you got, you got the size triple XL, but someone will buy it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the one thing that we, that we just got fell into and hit on was classic football shirts out of the UK um, yeah. co contacted us and, and bought a, a large order of our jerseys um, and ultimately sold out of them. And then 
purchase another one. And that was um, a really big factor into keeping us sustainable during the, the COVID year, the, the oh, really? COVID year, because yeah. that, that was a sizable um, uh, chunk of cash that we weren't expecting and we didn't have, we hadn't planned for. Um, so it, well, what I'm hearing there is that America needs the UK. Is that pretty much what you're saying? <laughs> right. Screw you and your war. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you can say that. Um, <laughs> But I mean, it's interesting, then you think about it from an awareness and branding perspective that, you know, there's maybe a hundred plus jerseys just rolling around Europe, mm -hmm. uh, not just the UK, but around Europe that uh, maybe knows nothing about us, but but bought it because of the original intent, which was create something cool that people like, keep it fresh, try to try to be a trendsetter, um, you know, build your brand that way. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I, I'm waiting to get to, to get back over to Europe to see if I just catch one in the wild. Um, is it where is the project where you anticipated it to be? I'm sure you, you re reassess every year, but like when you set, when you set it up years ago, were you thinking we're going to be a five man up five team operation? Were you thinking that we're going to be, semi-pro in the truest sense of the word or was it always just oh my god we could do this now was there you know, a road plan um i mean the roadmap was to to win trophies so it was after after year two it was okay we we know we can do baseline to uh as a 501c3 make enough money to cover our our costs uh, maybe make a little bit more from an incremental perspective to be able to add on something new um be very calculated that way um but it was like all right well now we got to start winning because no one likes 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 to lose in our in our first year in the PLA came in a disappointing third place um rebuilt the roster John. third yeah. is disappointing <laughs> um, I mean it's not first place right so everything else is disappointing uh so disappointing third place uh rebuilt the roster for what we thought we needed to to actually compete to win our division in the PLA uh, ended up moving the MPSL and then we had a roster that wasn't built to win in the MPSL finished another disappointing third so we had to recalculate at that point and that's where our focus went to let's win some trophies and I think we're now at that point um as far as where we're at now it going into year uh, uh actually I believe it's year seven um going into year seven we really wanted to we really want to win a national championship with Minnesota based players and we really thought we had we had it this year and just you know that's why you play the games. We ended up, you know, falling, falling out in the, in the final eight in both of our competitions this year. And it is what it is, but now we know we've made that other step forward on the playing side. And then from a business side perspective, um, you know, I think we're doing a really good job of our community partnerships, uh, really digging in with some of the, um, the, you know, quote unquote underserved areas where, um, where, you know, people haven't really focused on them, but soccer is so huge in those areas. So I think our community folks um, are, are doing a really, really good job of that. And I think that, you know, at this point, I think it's, if it all, if the lights shut off today, I think it would be a massive success. I, I think it's, it's just funny, Nick, you and I have had a lot of conversations internally about the development of, of our club and, and what we're building. And I think that we had a couple of guests on last year that as much as winning isn't important, it sure is important. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the most important thing, but it brings all the boys to the yard, as they say. So um, I think that's kind of the development that we're on with, with uh, my focus for four years has been on being sustainable. And I let the soccer kind of go and then, and I'm not qualified to speak on it. So we've, you know, we got some changes within our club too, where we're, trying to get stronger on the field. And, and I think that's what 
sort of moves the needle, gets the headlines in the community that, man, we got to go watch these guys. They're going four in a row and they're, they're beating people. And it's the balance, um, isn't it? It's, it's, it's hard to, hard to strike between success and for want of a better word, um, money motivated, not, they're not money motivated players, but they're out of towners. But, but, but at the same time, I think, I think Minneapolis is a, is a great example of, like you said, John, they're paying to, you're providing them with fantastic coaching, a fantastic experience, a marketing platform for players to be seen, mm -hmm. uh, to be highlighted, to be recognized, you know, on a national stage within your brand. Um, and I think there's, I think there's a lot of young players out there that would love the opportunity that maybe this level, whatever it is, is, is the highest point they're going to get to, or maybe for a few, it can be that stepping stone to the next level. And I think, um, you know, for, for you to be able to charge players, get some skin in the game, and also they see tremendous value and you can win and all those things, all the community things you guys are able to do. I think it's a, there's no question here. I, I'm just blabbering that. I mean, I think you guys are leaders, as you said, in, in kind of creating the, uh, the playbook of starting a club. And I, I think we're obviously trying to mirror you and put our own spin on it. But I think it's fantastic what you guys have been able to do in the great white North. I appreciate that. I mean, as you know, it's, it, it's hard work and, and a lot of it is uh, hard work for not, but there are those things that just click and you're like, okay, that's the way we do it. Let's, let's build off of that. Um, and they, and they, they, they uncover themselves, you know, either right away or maybe after a few years. But I think the one thing that, um, that I, I kind of brushed over from a success standpoint that, um, that you, that you kind of kicked up in my brain when you were, when you were speaking is that, you know, building that thing that the players want to be part of is almost more massive than the wins and losses. The wins and losses will come with the talent and the, the right coaching staff and the right chemistry, but the word of mouth for players at this level is just underrated how huge that is. I mean, if, if you have one player from an area and they grew up playing with five other players that are off somewhere else playing, uh, if you give them that reason to, when they're hanging out with their buddies to say like, Dude, you got to come play for, for, you know, DeKalb or Minneapolis City or whoever it is, um, you know, like this is what they do for us. Um, and then you start to talk about that with college coaches and say like, you know, you know, we, we made a decision this past week, uh, this past week that uh, I think some college coaches will appreciate a little bit more uh, from a, a competitive landscape um, in, in moving to the USL too, from a programming perspective. Um, you start talking to coaches and they're like, yeah, UPSL, MPSL, Midwestern Premier League, like, yeah, I, I know it's a great, a, a great idea and opportunity, but I really want my players to play in the PDL now, the USL too. And you can't get over that. But if you start to talk to the coaches, they start to hear like how great of an experience it is from their guys that come back. Now that stigma of whatever that league is goes away and they start to understand like whatever league or competition it is the they're taking care of their players and that means that i'm going to get a guy coming back from summer break uh happier fitter you know a little bit more experienced was exposed to something a little bit different that might help their game uh, that's massive it's massive well you you pinched uh pinched a nerve there with usl too let's talk about it because we were going <laughs> to get to it anyway um obviously you guys if i if i follow along you guys uh one your um, division 
conference of the NPSL, right? Mm -hmm. And also UPSL. Is that correct? Correct. correct. You did the domestic four letter double, I believe we <laughs> called that. The Minnesota double. The Minnesota double. So <laughs> like you you elaborated on the, the move was more of a uh, next step of your competitive journey as a mm -hmm. club. Um, I guess my question, obviously, I'm on the board for the Midwest Premier League. I'm always curious what um, I know the reputation of, of USL2 and, and sort of that development into League One. Um, what other things kind of does is available from the league and what kind of support and um, not even financials, just sort of like what's what's the sales pitch you get from USL2 that that makes you go, okay, it's time. Or is it just the fact that you've lifted some trophies the last few years and feel like, all right, we've we've surpassed sort of where the level of competition is at this point? Oh, I guess, sorry, John, I want to jump in there as well. Um, what came for, who approached who? <laughs> oh man, a lot, of, a lot of heavy questions on pack here. Um, you know, there wasn't a, a courting process. There was, there's an inquiry process on our end. Like what would it, what would it look like to, to become a member in, in your league structure? So that's kind of where, where it did start. So there's no fairy tale. Like we, we met the, met him at the ball and the glass slipper, slipper fit, which, you know, we can say there was, if you want, um, but it, was, it's fine. It's <laughs> it, it really was just like a, you know, what, what, what's over here and, and, and what can we learn and, and can it be something that's good for us? So that, that's kind of where it started. I think from, from like, why, why do it? Um, you know, for me, you get a, you get a chance to uh, twice a year to get a crack at the, the Des Moines menace, um, the Des Moines menace from a, a club and a, and a playing perspective at non-professional soccer are probably the most successful club. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't die on that sword if they aren't, but they're, they are one of the best. So if you, you know, John, you mentioned like, you know, we, we did lift three straight North conference trophies. Yes, that's awesome. But if we're truly in the, in the business of now we've established ourselves, let's see what we can do from a player exposure perspective, um, playing against the best. And, and not to say that the best aren't in other leagues in the Midwest, uh, but from a, from, from our perspective, where we could actually make it attainable was the Heartland Conference in the in the USL2. Um, that made a lot of sense for us. And the pathway to pro thing, it was a really big thing as well. I mean, we've we've kicked out three professional players in the last four years, um, two MLS super draft players and and one um one just moved to Nisa. Um, multiple players have gone over and played lower level soccer. I won't call it professional because how the European structure works. Sometimes a, a third or fourth division team is not necessarily a professional, um, but we've kicked out players and, and moved them through our, our, our banner and our programming into very high levels. And this is just another way for that to happen. And if you look at the success we had and what we learned about having our futures program in their first year, there are so many young, talented players that are at the 16 to 19 year old level that we would have nothing for them to do. And they would go somewhere else if we didn't look at the another programming option. Um, we call it programming instead of like league um, or we call it co competitions uh, instead of leagues now, because it really, where we're focusing, it truly is a competition-based thing. Um, but seeing that we had like another 50 plus players just injected into our club this year with the, the futures program, and how much they bought into what we do and how good they are on the field. Um, 
there's some perfect, we'll call them pre-professional players in that group, hands down. I, I, you can see the talent level. If we can continue to get them through and then we have that, that true, in theory, pathway to pro uh, with the USL, having attain, uh, accessibility um, to League One and championship teams and be able to affiliate and be able to push players that way instead of having to go to general um, you know, open trials, that's, that's great. And, and it truly, it's about the player at that point. So, I mean, there's no real like juicy answer for like, why go to USL too, other than I think that from a competitive standpoint on the field, it's, it's probably the highest place we could have gone, um, you know, in, unless we were to go professional. I have a, I have a logistic, two logistical questions to tag on. And I don't mean to sound negative, which I always sound negative, <laughs> but, but it, I, I assume, and tell me if I'm wrong, that your travel for this USL uh, level pro, part of your programming will be increased geographically from what you were previously doing. You're nodding. Nobody mm -hmm. else can see that on the podcast, but you're <laughs> nodding. So that's true. So obviously, yeah. I always go back to the financials of that. But then um, I guess what else does that do in terms of like um, that direct exposure and and obviously... Um, at the league level, they're they're marketing certain things and stuff. Are you guys going to strategically change the way you market that team any different than you did with your when you were in NPSL or UPSL or anything else? Is there going to be an extra emphasis on that, or is that just part of what you already do? It's going to be same same old same old. So we're not gonna we're not gonna change how we're we're promoting ourselves or we're doing anything different. You you mean you touched on the number one thing? Travel is going to be a little bit higher and we're going to have to train more um specifically for a certain portion of our player rosters or our player pool um but um i mean as far as how we're, we're slicing it is we're dropping the two off of minneapolis city two and we're basically going to create one big player pool structure about 60 ish players um and we're going to basically slice it into competitions so much like in europe use premier league as an example there's the premier league the carabao cup the fa cup there's maybe champions league um so that's how, how we're looking at it. So we have this player pool within our system. Futures would be a side. Think of it more of like the youth junior setup. And then our senior, our senior player pool will compete in all of those competitions. So that's the way we're going to go about it because we think it's the best way to keep all the players together in, in a training atmosphere and, and, and then ultimately being able to separate them into how it works based off the competition. So say we're, we are playing against the Des Moines Menace, um, on a given week can we put out the best roster out of that 60 for that game but they've been training together um say we're, we're still staying in the mpsl say we're you know we're going you know no disrespect we're going to fargo moorhead to play uh the dakota fusion who historically we've, we've not had a lot of trouble with um maybe that's when we start to play some of the a different roster um maybe we have an open cup game if we ever figure out how to make that competition not get kicked out um, a different set of set of folks. So we're, we're, we're changing our structure from how we handle our, our rosters, but who we are, how we promote ourselves, our voice, uh, our identity, that's all going to stay the same. All right. I got one more thing about logistics and backend stuff. One of the, one of the concerns I always have is about we're running a business and um, even in the Midwest Premier League, it's a 12 week season. Um, USL two is a 99 and a half percent college players or mm -hmm. college age players. 
your season in the USL two is May 20th to July 20th, give or take, right? Maybe nine weeks. Um, I'm always concerned with schedule. And I actually think a community-based club like yourselves, like us, like so many others, one thing that may or may not help is to actually be able to play longer and have more impact. I know when you're based, basing your player pool on college players, you're limited on what you can do. So sometimes it's a matter of, you know, this is the confines we have to play within. But um, do you think there's going to be a challenge or how different is it from NPSL and what you were doing? But it seems like a more compact schedule. Is that difficult to continue to be super active in the community during that period of time? It seems very compressed. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, how... I'll go to the playing side first, how, how like how we're going to slice that up. Um, it, it will be a, a, a different challenge for us. Um, there, there's, there's ultimately um, right now, I would say between the players in a gap year that aren't going to college because of COVID reasons and the overage players that we're allowed to have on a USL two roster. And then some of the local college players that will end a little bit earlier and not have to travel. We could absolutely put a competitive team out there for the first half of the USL two season before all the college players can come in. Um, not worried about that. Uh, well, I mean, worried depending upon who we're playing, <laughs> uh, but, but not worried about that piece of it from us being stretched thin because we're over here, we're over there. Now we're over here. Um, that's going to be a challenge, but I think that, um, you know, we're, we're looking to level up in a few key positions within our, our back of the house front office that, um, will help us, uh, stay focused on some things rather than being stretched a little too thin. Um, like I mentioned, the, um, the, the community piece, um, uh, Brendan, who runs our, our community, uh, came on two years ago, was a futures coach this year in his first year with us. Um, he will be focused on, on, on that stuff and he will keep us honest to make sure that we're not losing sight of things, you know, making sure that we haven't made commitments we can't keep or we're falling down on the fact that we're, we're just not as active as we could be. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that we've, you know, we right now we've never done anything in our, you know, three or four years of history. We've never done anything outside of our main season. And our, uh, we've actually got a, a squad right now playing in uh, the National Soccer League is doing a seven-on-seven league in the city. Um, so we've actually got a group competing in this, you know, nice. this fall window. Um, but it's the first time we've done anything outside of the main summer season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's one of the things that, uh, again, I, I ignored soccer a little bit too much probably. Um, I, I think some sort of player development has to come. And I think the guys that are out of college aren't going to get any better if they're not playing. Yeah, play. yeah, yeah definitely got to play. And, and that's something you and I talked about. I think after our attempted podcast, you and I had a conversation and you kind of shared some of the way that you guys, um, you engage a little bit more year round to keep the players connected mm-hmm. and keep it a little more social. And uh, uh, I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, but I thought that was a little bit inspiring to me because it was a, a sort of a thing that I'd never thought of. Man, these, yeah, these guys disappear for eight months and then we expect them to come back and compete at the right. same level. And uh, I think that was unfair and short-sighted of me. I mean, I have to remember what I said. <laughs> it was you told me. It's like a year no, ago. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah it, was, it was five months and seven days ago. You said <laughs> that uh, you guys get together basically weekly year round yep, and you, okay. your yep. player pool gets together and um, it's just basically high level training with your coaches to keep fit 
and whatever they could do. And I'll let you elaborate a little bit. Okay. Thank you for the thought starter. I, my, my, my brain laps, laps a little bit there. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not necessarily all year round, but it's pretty darn close. Um, we just wrapped up our fall season. We were fortunate enough to play against Ford Madison. Um, we played Minnesota United in a friendly Obviously, it wasn't televised or uh, we weren't really allowed to talk about it, but played them, played some college teams. Um, so we had the opportunity to keep guys going um, that need, that wanted it for the, the short fall season. Last fall, uh, once COVID restrictions lifted, we had a 7v7 interclub league, which was basically our futures model that we were piloting. Um, and, and that was fantastic. It was once a week training. And then the, the off week was a seven on seven league and then training seven on seven. Um, so that kept them involved. But our true season starts December 1st. Um, we start, um, and I would even push it back a little bit to into November. That's when we start having our open trials for in-town players. Um, you know, college kids aren't going to be trying out in November, but we do our, our college tryouts over the winter break because um, since we are solely Minnesota focused, those guys are back from, from school. So we have our, our trials and our, our, um, our, we'll call our selected combine of players that are, we're definitely serious about giving a spot to, um, versus someone off the street. So we, we do, we do that. There's, um, there's, is a winter league that's, uh, that's seven on seven aside that Augsburg university puts on, which is where we play. Um, and, uh, so our guys playing that, so we do keep it relevant enough and you're not going to get every person, um, to stay active, but if you can kind of keep those touch points, um, it, it, keep, it does keep the guys engaged and then they don't have to think twice about what they're going to do once the summer season kicks in. Start small, think big, ain't no other better way to live if you think big and start small. You ain't gotta have a lot to have it all. Slow it down, take your time, cause the sun shines on us all. Start small. And think big, y'all. Um, have you had any players that have been with you since day one that have progressed up the the ladder, as it were, like a, a possible likely to start USL two, but were originally just in the in the local rec league? Have you had any? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have. Let me do a quick quick count here in my mind. Um, this past season, I think we had between the both of our senior teams, I think we had nine players that were on the first roster. So been so, with you since day one, essentially. Just yep, been with us since day one. Unfortunately, one of those was uh, Will Kidd, our all-time leading goal scorer in, in club history, who just took a job in St. Louis, so he's gone. Um, but we're starting to see some of the older players age out a little bit. Maybe they're on the last year, year or two of the, being able to play um, at the level that they they want. <laughs> let, let me rephrase that. Um, still being able to play at that level, but maybe not being able to compete at that level. Week on, week on, yeah. Yeah. Week on week due to some of the guys are starting to have kids now. Um, you know, they're, they're getting married. So those, those obligations tossed with work, soccer becomes a distant third, yeah, maybe fourth. Sure. Um, but we, we have, um, we have three players who were 18 year olds when they started with us and um, two of them are still with us. And one, um, uh, I, I see, but he's play, he just got signed to play in the third division in Norway. So he's over there right now. Um, He's a graduate of UW Green Bay. His name's Ian Smith. Um, but yeah, he started with us as a 17-year-old, um, just turned 18 once our season started, and now he he's gone the full pathway through. And did that did that come about through his endeavors? Like, did was he sending out mixtapes, or was it like literally word spread and someone came across to see you? I think it was TikTok. Mm -hmm. So the kids really? are doing these. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, it it was uh, dance videos. 
you know, I, I've been in close contact with Ian and been a, a good friend of his since he started playing with us. And, and I've, I've done everything I could to help him move on. Um, he ended up getting these contacts through the, uh, the gap year he had when he played for the Green Bay Voyagers in the USL2, which is now going to be one of our uh, conference mates. So like some of the connections he made there was how that, that happened. And uh, so he, he moved on a two-week trial, ended up sending, I think, a third week and then just got, got signed. Um, but that's not official yet. So let's pretend I didn't say that. That, but I, I'm allowed to say it. But let's pretend I didn't say it. You <laughs> <laughs> didn't name out. the club, so it's all right. Yeah, the yeah. news will be out soon. <laughs> no, I think uh, like I think when US soccer becomes a thing in inverted commas, whatever a thing looks like, um, is when scouts from Europe are coming over and checking out players on you know, on the grapevine, as it were, rather than relying on a t- on a video or you know, yeah, whatever. Um, and whether they are, you know, whether they're flying over specifically to come to Minneapolis or whether they got a scout on the ground over here is a moot point. But I think um, for now, players have to be sort of proactive and just use the fact that they're playing week in, week out at a semi-competitive level to say, hey, look, I am good enough. Give me a shot. But yeah. I think we've arrived when people understand that they're good enough because they're playing week in, week out, if you know what I mean. Well, essentially, we talked about how players come back and play at our level and mm-hmm. how the the college coaches start to get more familiar with what you do. If it's the, if you build, they will come kind of theory. It's the same thing with your players going elsewhere. So our players aren't going to get the exposure for our club if they aren't there isn't one or two that are in an area, maybe geographically somewhere in the world that, um, and they perform. So we prepared them enough and done our part uh, along the way to help them get better. Once they start doing that, people start seeing, then maybe it starts to come back the other way. All right. Um, John, have you got anything, any more questions on the playing side? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got a, I got a, uh, uh, something that came up in, in my experience this past summer, um, a little bit with our club, but probably not as much as I even know about, but, um, a lot of clubs in the Midwest had a hard time getting enough players to travel. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about relatively close travel, you know, the hour and a half, two hours or less. Um, do you have concerns? I, I know I sound like a real negative fella here, but do you have concerns with being able to get guys to get on a bus for a, maybe it's a five, six hour ride, play a match, stay overnight, that commitment of being gone for, 10, 14, 16 hours or overnight and being gone for two days to go play a match um, or is, and I don't know the geography exactly of your, of your conference here at the USL two level, but um, you know, like I said, I, I, I was seeing it with other teams that were struggling to get 13, 14 guys to travel to a match. And I'm concerned sort of industry wide at lower league, lower league soccer that these players are, quite honestly have other things they want to do and soccer is great, but I can go play in three Sunday league games tomorrow mm-hmm. and take up less time than an overnighter to, I mean, to want that far, but you get my, you get my question, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we ran into that uh, not so much last year. We ran into it earlier on where our rosters were thin and we, you know, we maybe had 22 healthy players and, and nine could travel. And you're like, now what do you do? You don't want to go embarrass yourself on the road. And what's the, what's the point? What's the point in all the effort if we're not getting players to go? So I, what, what, what helped us was the increasing our roster sizes and creating the competitive atmosphere to say, like, if you can't go to you know, wherever on a, on a Wednesday or on a Sunday, Saturday, whatever, that's cool. This guy's going to take your spot. If you don't have the ability to do that, then you run into the guys that they're in control then. And I don't want it to sound like a, 
organization versus the player uh, theory here, but it kind of is, you know, if a, if a player is not willing to put in the time, should the organization, just because it's non, non-professional soccer, make the investment in that player if they're not bought it, uh, regardless of how good they are, you know, you have to concede somewhere and you're either conceding with losing a good player because they're not bought in and willing to travel because they made the commitment to be part of a team, um, which is a thing, or you have to bend over backwards to that player or ultimately not travel with his um, so increasing our roster size helped big time. Um, also our futures program could not have worked out better with, uh, from a travel perspective the, our UPSL team had some injury issues, not a ton of travel that they had to do, but just away games, um, filling in admirably. And then that laddered up with being able to, to have players from our U- UPSL team play with their MPSL team. And I, and I believe it's going to be the same way. Um, but ultimately it's got to be a commitment piece. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in commitment, you know, I wonder if it's my German roots, but when I, when I sign up for something, I'm going to, I'm going to follow through. And I think a lot of times nowadays, maybe the generation doesn't necessarily feel that's, that's, that's a thing. And I get it. But if you want to, if you get that guy, who's like, thinks they're a pro or wants to be a pro or wants to be a division one player, but maybe as division three level talent, um, either they're going to work hard or they're not. And the ones who aren't, I don't really have a ton of time for you. You know, there's another person waiting on the other side of that door. That's going to, it's going to take your spot. And that's just being honest. Um, so, you know, I, I agree with you though. It, it, there were a lot of times where it's like, you, even when you're a ho- the home side and you're like, sweet, we're playing 13 guys today. Awesome. Like now, what are my fans going to think? What, what are my players going to think? Uh, what are their coaches, college coaches going to think? It, it's tough. It's a tough balancing act. But I do believe that with all of the, we'll call it higher level youth soccer out there right now, that we're only going to start seeing more players that are that are prepared to play at this level. Maybe it's the plateau level for them uh, where others are obviously better, um, the more talented half of the group. But I think you're going to see uh, we're in a weird, weird kind of transition gap couple of years where we just don't have the volume of players that can compete yet. And we either have the older ones or the ones that are the sweet spot. And I think it's going to change over time where you're, you're going to have, you're going to have the opportunity to, to have larger rosters and bring more people. It won't be a problem. So I guess focusing, focusing back on a little bit of the other things um, sort of that you guys do, I know you do a ton of community stuff. How do you engage with your, you know, youth? you don't, you have the futures program, which is what 16 to 19 ish. Yep. Correct. How do you engage with other youth clubs within Minneapolis and what are those relationships like and how does that kind of all feed into what your program's about? Sure. I mean, we, we didn't have to compete at the, in the youth space before the, the futures program started, uh, obviously, cause we didn't have anyone that was competing, um, against them. Um, and whenever we had a player who was maybe 18 and still playing with his club team or U19 coming back and doing like a regionals or some club soccer related stuff, we maybe had a one-off, two-off, three-off scenario where we had to, to allow the player to leave or, or they chose to play with us. So not a lot of butting of heads with clubs. Um, moving into that, that space of the futures program, we did a ton of conversations with um, you know, club directors, directors of coaching, um, and just asked them, you know, like, what are the hot buttons here? Like, here's our model. It's supplemental. It's additive. Um, you know, we're going to try to do some 11 aside stuff. Maybe we can play against your club, um, you know, but we're not going to take your player and trot them around the country so that they miss your stuff. Um, so it really started with that trust exercise of, do you trust us? Uh, give us a year, 
see how it works. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, then, you know, your players don't have to be pushed this way. So we, we really just had the honest trust exercise and just told them like, we, our business is to make your players better. And if it's infringing on anything, just tell us. And cause kids don't communicate to adults sometimes. So you're not, you're not putting a 16 year old in charge of uh, telling us what his, uh, his tournament schedule is. Um, we're just going to assume that he doesn't have anything. So if, if there's a, an issue come to us, um, so we started there. I thought it went great. Uh, I'm sure there was a couple, you know, one or one or two scenarios where, you know, things miscommunication that caused a little ruffling of feathers, but we ironed those out. Um, and then once we moved past that, then we started seeing like Minnesota United Academy wanted to play us and Shattuck St. Mary's is a soccer, um, a soccer specific or not soccer specific, but sports specific um, uh, academy school in, in Minnesota and their soccer program wanted to play us. So we started seeing all these people wanting to play our, our futures team. Um, so it, I think it worked, um, but it, it started with just making sure that we weren't throwing a program out there that was going to be prickly right off the bat and, and making sure that people understood what it was before we just said, hey, come try out for this thing and you know maybe make our club coach mad. Yeah, it's, it's all about uh, sort of building the bridges, right? With, mm-hmm. with every, and, and not just with youth clubs, but with schools, with colleges, with sponsors, with... Uh, everything with with everything it's 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 sort of I and mean, getting back to your purpose of what you guys are trying to do is is to be to use your word additive to everything not just player development right but mm-hmm. to the community you're adding you're adding something to the community that it quite honestly didn't know it even needed right yeah you know honestly that's what we felt about our futures program i mean there was <laughs> how much trouble i'll get in here um we didn't know it was as serious of a thing in the landscape until our MLS friends started taking some of those players or inquiring about some of those and then playing them and beating them with the players that were taken or left us obviously was a feather in the cap, but um, we didn't know it was, it was, it had stuck yet until that, that started to happen. And it's great. If it can help soccer get better in the state of Minnesota, why would people not want to be part of it? You know, whether you like Minneapolis city or myself or Dan or anyone associated with us or not, if it's making us better, let's just do more of that. Yeah. I think, I think what you guys have done is it's extremely important for our club and many others, because we're all in this, in the same pool, but some of you are older, right? So we're able to learn Mm -hmm. by watching, by talking, by quite honestly doing this podcast, we're able to learn a lot. Um, but I think there's so much, so much that you guys do that people can look to and go, now, maybe I don't want to do it exactly like that, but that so, is a good point. idea. And I'm going to tweak it. Yeah. I want to tweak that and do it this way. Maybe I don't have the same relationships or the same resources with colleges, universities, you know, I, we're in a rare, fairly rural area, but there's a lot of soccer programs within an hour of us. And youth players travel a long way to play soccer, especially if they're parents and they feel like they're getting quality coaching, quality education, quality development, um, where even though we're in the middle of cornfields, we're not that far away from a lot of different things. And I think yeah, that by, by able, being able to see what you guys have done and all, I mean, all the way down to Chattanooga that started six or seven years before you, yep. the development of where a club at this level can go from starting with zero it may not be merit-based pro-rel and we couldn't get a podcast in without saying pro-rel, but it may not be merit-based, but there are certainly development opportunities 
for clubs. And, and that's why we do this podcast to talk to people like you that have lived it and, and um, are just crazy enough to still be involved with it <laughs> and um, can, can keep inspiring others to, uh, to build a club in their own community. Well, we talked about earlier, like, you know, we did our due diligence with who was out there at the time and it's only right in our opinion to pay it forward. You know, like it, yes, there's competitiveness in this landscape and there's, there's competitiveness, there's, there's joy, there's pettiness, there's anger, there's all of that. But ultimately at the end of the day, aren't we all in this for the purpose of making soccer better? for whatever community we're in. And if you're not, then you're in it for the money. And as, if, <laughs> as you guys know, and anyone else listening to this, and even at the professional levels in the United States, people don't make money. So we're definitely not in it to be getting rich. So we're doing it for the right reason. So let's share the information. Let's make it better. And I, you know, I, I'm unapologetic when I, when I say, if you, if you don't like the way we're doing something, um, XYZ club, whatever, whoever you are, um, and, and you're mad about things and we're successful, then, then figure out how to do it better. Well, it's been our mantra. We don't, we don't claim we're doing it right. We just claim mm-hmm. we're doing it. Like, yeah. there's, there's got to be a better way of doing it than the way we're doing it because we're idiots. <laughs> Bluntly. Like, and I, I, I go, that goes across the board. Like no one's doing it right per se because no one's doing it the same way. Mm-hmm. If there was mm-hmm. a inverted commas right way, we'd all be following the, the script, right? So we're all just feeding off each other. Um, Change tangent a little bit. Um, five, six, seven, eight years ago, when you were first discussing it with Dan, what did what was success going to look like? What was success? Success was being able to sit in the stands and drink beer and watch it happen. So we already checked that box real quick. Excellent. John, still hope <laughs> for you. Um, but today, what is success? Well, success is is continuing to to be to be here and relevant. Um, the su- success we talked about earlier on was winning trophies. Um, that's not going to happen every year. You know, newsflash to any of our fans who are listening, no matter how good we, how, how, how hard we try, it's not going to happen every year. We've been very fortunate. Um, so if you just put winning as a benchmark of success, I think that's kind of a short-sighted failure on your part. I, I think it's just, it's, it's honestly, it's longevity and sustainability because sports franchises, professional or amateur, um, you look at the history of them. I mean, the Bavarians, where I come from and who are in, in, uh, in your league, 1929, when they started, the, the Croatian Eagles, 1926. Like, fast forward to, you know, 30, <laughs> you know, 30, 32, and if there's a Minneapolis city out there still, that is far beyond my life cycle, but that is success. To continue to, to be there and to be providing something that someone feels is either exciting from a fan perspective or beneficial from a coaching and playing perspective. I think it's interesting that you cite those two, albeit from personal experience, because, um, and John, you will back me up here, I'm sure, that um, from a purely on-field product they're great, right? They know, especially the Bavarians, because they win everything and they're bigger than us and they bully us and yada, yada, yada. Um, but they don't have a fan culture, either of them. Because, but they've existed for 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years because they are integral to that community. Mm-hmm. They may not necessarily be pulling 15 of their game day roster from that community. I don't know if they are or not. I'm just saying that but they don't need to. But the fact that that exists, that matters to that community. So um, it's not just about bums on seats or the number of jerseys you've sold or the amount of um, refreshments you sell or whatever. It's, it's bigger than that. Right. It's, mm-hmm. you've got to be, if, if I think I, I banged this drum a long time ago, I think on the previous podcast was that 
if the, if soccer mattered mattered to your immediate community, someone have done it would have done it before you, mm-hmm. because you know you're not again we're not we're not brain surgeons any of us. You've got to establish something that matters more than being a soccer club, mm-hmm. because soccer, whether we love it or not, it doesn't matter in this country. Is the same way in this in the same way that basketball or football does. It just doesn't. It may do one day, but until that day happens, we've got to be more than a soccer club, as our hashtag would say. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. With that well, then in I, mind, I, what go on, John. No, and I, and I think to to build on that too, the other the other thing that those clubs are able to do, and I haven't talked to them about this specifically, but there's sort of that old ethnic culture of all of those 80, 90 year clubs in the country that there's enough uncles and nephews and you know, former players and alumni Mm -hmm. that they are able to go, Hey, everybody, we're doing our annual fundraiser. Can everybody kick in a little money? And all the guys that played there for five or 10 years and grew up around the club want to see it continue for that next generation of their family or the fourth generation of their family, where I think speculative, I think there's some of that alumni funding that comes back and Mm -hmm because I don't see them going out and hustling for sponsors. I don't see them going out and selling tickets at the gate and all those kinds of things. Um, but I think to John's point, they created a, a, an experience through their history of whether winning or not of positive experience that the families and the people, the players that they wanted to be a part of it and they want to see it around. And I think there's something to that. As, as you said, Nick, we certainly don't have it figured out, but one of my challenges is how do we take, the Croatian pride, for example, and turn it into DeKalb County pride where you, boy, you can go all over this country and see somebody with that flying in your corn in a bar somewhere. But how do you get the people that are from DeKalb County to go, yeah, we got a club that does a lot of really good things. And when they sell memberships, I'm going to buy one every year. It's just what I'm going to do because I'm from there. It isn't because they're Croatian or they're American or they're Mexican or German or whatever. It's, it's just, it's my geographical pride instead of, you know, mm-hmm ethnic pride and, and establishing that is something that that's a huge challenge I think for clubs like us well I think that the the one of the reasons why it's a challenge is because for every Bavarians Croatians you know Chicago green and white all those early ethnic clubs for every one two three of those there's 150 that failed um, because they they lost sight of what makes this important and they maybe lost sight of the facts that this is just a game and <laughs> you, you, you can pay, you can pay high dollar to go see it at the highest level, but you can also have a really, really good experience for paying either nothing or very little. And, and that sense of community pride, like you mentioned, John is huge. I mean, half of the fans that we have, uh, I mean, they support clubs all over the country, but because we're in the backyard and we are theirs and we, and we maybe deploy the, the kid who used to deliver their paper, who's now a senior at, North Carolina and he's back in town playing they they eat that up and they come into it and then like you said that alumni network we're not quite there yet we're getting close to their alumni network now that we're had a, a, a good cycle of guys leaving but if you can crack a keg open and have an alumni fundraiser and maybe one day those guys have you know sons and maybe ultimately daughters that can play for Minneapolis City that is what to me it's all about do you guys ever um pontificate on the next generation of leadership uh something i think we've talked Mm. about but my biggest concern um immediately for us is 
I, I don't want this to be John's thing. And I mm. want to see the next generation of leadership take over our board and make sure it stays around. Because I, if I got hit by a bus, which is a horrible thing to think about, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, <laughs> what happens to the club? Like, is there the, um, the passion, the energy, the knowledge, all those things, and the willingness of somebody to be crazy like me to say, let me step up and kind of keep it moving. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you guys ever think about? Or are you, do you feel a little bit like the baby's not ready to walk yet and we have to stick around? Even if you want to stick around, sure. at some point you may not want to. And is that something that you guys are thinking about and sort of transitioning toward? Well, it's a, it's a really good, it's a really good point. I mean, right now it's, you know, personally, I feel like with the, the group that we're growing in the back of the house, we're, we're moving towards that. Um, it's still at, at a, an attainable level for, for Dan, who does a lot more on the business side than I do. Um, still attainable for him, but we're bringing in some of the right pieces. It's taken a while. Um, but if you look at, at our Stegman soccer club, it took us um, eight years, seven and a half, eight years to step out of that and to appoint someone that we trusted. We moved one of our former teammates who was on the younger side, um, who I think he came in at 23 when we were 30. Um, he saw how it was done and he continued to be, you know, bought into it. And we moved him into being the president of Stegman's soccer club. And he's done awesome work and kept it going, organically grown it, gone through some of his peaks and peaks and valleys that, uh, that we went through and, and came out the other side. So we've seen it happen, but we have, I don't think we have immediate plans unless Dan's going to listen to this and say, he's already one foot out the door. I don't know. <laughs> uh, you, but that's, that's the whole thing is, is you've done a lot in, in many years mm -hmm. to get to this point. And what I don't ever want to get to the point where I go, listen, my family, you know, my kids are growing up, um, work this, work that, or I got another job and I move into Minnesota. And but then, you know, what club to come up and support? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Like, like <laughs> I want to get back in a rat race right, right straight away. But, but that's where I, I want to make sure that it's in, the community is invested in it, that there's enough people that I don't want to feel trapped that I can't leave or it's going to fall apart. Sure. And I've, since our very first match, I've told this story many times, our very first match against old boys, that's what Andy asked me, what's your end game here? And I go, my end game is to get out and have it keep going because that's the only way it's ever going to mean anything to the community is if it's around mm -hmm. and it can't be John's club. And I think, I think just, just the fact that you guys have already transitioned Stegman's, obviously when the time comes, you guys have that experience of letting the baby walk and yeah just hands off and honestly it was interesting because i i i we, we we got promoted i i left that team and i moved on to a lower team and then i came back to play on it and i was like you know it, it took everything in my my power to not be like i would i would do it this way not not your way but that i we you have to realize that you know if it's working let it let someone else who's in charge do it and i think what we've done with minneapolis city is we've given our coaches a lot more um we've moved um <clears throat> we moved um uh adam pribble who was our head coach for for two years and assistant coach for a year before that moved him into a technical director general manager role and he's really focusing on the, the the coaching staff side and ultimately moving some of the responsibilities of a general manager to those those managers and the and their managers for each team to be able to say like you know 
I don't need to be the guy who's managing the jerseys and managing the this and the that. I just need to tell you where you where you go to play and coach your team and manage your team and lean on the club when you need help. So I think we're moving towards what, that Stegman's model that we, we started with, that way um, with Minneapolis city, but there's, as you know, there's just too much to, to just let it all go. Um, so a secession plan at some point will, will be put in place and we'll be comfortable with whatever decision. we make. So my, my last question, and I'm going to let you go because I, <laughs> you and I, you and I especially could talk about this for weeks. <laughs> How much do you love away matches when you can literally sit and drink beer and support your team? Because I'm sure your home matches are like work, 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 work. Well, I do the play-by-play. So it's a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Okay. <laughs> All right. All but right. to answer your question, uh, we just we just came out of a match in Madison. And I can say I had a really good time <laughs> I <believe> it. <laughs> watching that one. But yeah, I mean, you're right. Like what people don't understand is that come game day, it's like you, the moment you wake up in the morning, the mind's racing on all the things you, you're going to forget later on. Um, and, and it's constantly a, a got to run here, got to run there, got to do things. Fortunately for me, hate to brag, but I, I do get to do the play by play, but that also brings its own challenges and, and things as well. Um, it's hard to do. But um, I fully understand it. You don't get to enjoy the games a lot. There's a lot of times where Dan asked to ask me how the second goal happened or whatever, because he's selling merchandise or doing something else. Um, and uh, so I do, I do enjoy the away matches. I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, I think that's something for people that are thinking, Hey, I should start a club. You, you don't, you don't just wheel out, roll out the balls and, and get the players out there and, and yeah. hang out. Now, if you can afford to do that, if you can stroke the checks and, and if that's the type of team you want to run, that's great. But to build the community-based and community-reliant clubs that, that we have and you have and so many others are trying to and do it more organically, um, there's a lot more work to just rolling out the balls and let's go mm -hmm. play for 90 minutes. It's, yeah. It is a full-day commitment on match day, whatever your role is, for sure. So if it's just uh, roll I, out I the feel... If it's just roll out the ball, I'd still be playing. I'd play on the team. <laughs> exactly right. Well, I appreciate John uh, you joining us. Oh, anytime. I'm glad we we hit record this time. Well, let's let's not count our chickens just yet, shall we? <laughs> I mean, I can do it a third time if we need to. Um, <laughs> no, but I appreciate it. You guys are great. I, you know, I I follow you guys. I, I I'm I'm up speed on what you guys are doing. It's it's very much so what where we were at a few years ago. So the the punches you take to the face only make it tougher so you uh you're gonna have a few of those but you know you guys are sticking with it and, and it's admirable what you guys are doing fantastic keep just uh, before you go john um yeah. i always end this way is there anything you want to ask john or myself about the club and you know i always like to someone to put john on the spot and ask something really awkward about that rash he's got or something i don't care but uh, yeah i mean i got i got one in the chamber i guess excellent <laughs> so seeing our club and, and, and what we've done to the, and then our, our additional features program and from what you hear me say about how successful it was in the future. Do you guys, are you guys can, would you consider, or have you considered it having anything from a lower level than what you currently are putting out from a programming perspective? Uh, I think, I think uh, not to sound like our uh, Chicago bears head coach, but everything's on the table right now. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things that we're always mindful of is not stepping on the toes of the youth clubs around mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that um, we can always do better to connect 
and, and supplement the programming of what they're doing. Uh, and maybe it's my own guilt, but I feel a little bit guilty asking our coaching staff to do more stuff on the club's behalf based on sort of what they get from us. Um, I mean, I would love to see a little bit more programming off season, especially a little bit more, um, even if it was something, maybe it's not a full like futures program, but even if it's like, Hey, one of our coaches is going to go train the U 16s for the youth club this week as a guest trainer, um, just to build those relationships a little bit more. Um, I think there's, there's some, something to be gained there. So Yes, I could see I could see doing something similar. I don't know I don't know if our community necessarily um, I don't know that we have the population quite to support it. I'm not opposed to just trying things and see what works though either. Mm-hmm. But we tend to we tend to fall back on what what we do and do it as well as we can. And we aren't always so quick to introduce new things because sure. with a new thing comes more work and with a, more work comes more work, more time, more, <laughs> more work. So, so I think, I think there's certainly things that um, I think it's a good inspirational thing that you've done. And that's why I, I'm glad we're a few years younger so that we can continue to watch what you do and try things and tweak and imitate and all those kinds of things. So it's chicken and egg as well, isn't it? Like you, I'm sure you, John, I know my John, but I'm sure you do as well, um, have a thousand one ideas of what the club could be at any given moment. But it's mm-hmm. um, how far can we push it with the, well, the volunteer staff that we've got? Do we have, it's not even necessarily a case of sheer manpower, it's do we have the right skill set? Because you can have a thousand people, but if none of them can yeah. operate social media, then you're screwed, right? Um, so you've got to have the right coaches, you've got to have the people that are available to go to community events or have an in to high school or junior high events or whatever it is, or people just like talking to people. You've got to have those skill sets and you can't force people to do stuff. You just mm-hmm. can't. So your growth is constrained by your volunteer base. You don't need to worry about it starting yet. Just go steal all their players and then put them in a decalb jersey. Oh, that would be that would have It'd be easier. Yeah, yeah it's, it's way easier. That's 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 exactly the point of uh, United through soccer is we're stealing your players through soccer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. United our way. Yeah. United <laughs> our way. Yeah. No, I, I think I think it, it 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 was cool to see what you guys did, especially really you got that started during the pandemic, right? So mm-hmm. it allowed yeah. you a little a little bit of contact when there was really no other options, which was perfect, and. Um, I, no, I think it's a, it's a great model. I, I don't know exactly how to pull it off here with, with our population and with facilities mm-hmm. and figuring out how to make that work. I know um, that game. <laughs> yeah. Build, build your own stadium. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so no, I think, I think it's a great thing. Thank you very much for your time. Oh, anytime guys, just let You're me fantastic. know. Let me know. And Thanks, John. obviously if you need help answering questions off air, I'm always, I'm always here. Of course. Just if anybody, if you need to get any fan mail, where can people get hold of you, John? Uh, personally or the club? Either way. <laughs> I'm not going to say personally because I get a lot of hate mail as it is anyways. Uh, no, <laughs> Those Des Moines uh, people. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, it's, it's, uh, it begins with a D, but it's not Des Moines. Uh-huh. Um, uh, you can hit the club on Twitter. It's the best way to reach us uh, at MPLS City. Yes, the, the DM can hit us up that way. Um, you can also check us out and leave a message on our website mplscitysc.com um 
Twitter is the quickest way I can, I can say that. Okay. So hit us up, follow us, or, you know, and you can listen to the people's pitch podcast, which is our podcast at the people's pitch um, on Twitter. And in, unless you're a Minneapolis city fan, you probably don't care, but every now and then we get some good, some good guests on that aren't Minneapolis city related. And, uh, and it's not just game recaps and us talking about the one futures kid who's going to such school. So you can check us out if you'd like. All right, John, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate having the rest of the week. Hey, thank Thanks you. a lot. John, Appreciate thank you it. as well. Catch you all later. Yeah, bye bye. Now the time has come for leaving. Fear, now we shall return. We were so glad we could make it, but so sad we got to run. Well, it might be a long time till we raise another glass. You can rest assured that next time we'll have ourselves a laugh.